0: Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But he's our special guest, playwright and academic, Dan Rebellato.
1: Now I've heard of a guy who lived a long time ago, a man full of sorrow and strife. When someone around him died and was dead, he knew how to bring him on back to life. Well, I don't know what kind of language he used or if they do that kind of thing anymore. Sometimes I think nobody ever saw me here at all, except the girl from the Red River Shore.
0: Ah, we
1: both love that song. We everybody. do. We um, do.
0: Why, did, why did you choose that to uh, kick off the show, Dan? Um,
1: well, obviously, part of the answer is you have to choose something. But uh, I, I think kind of through three things, uh, three things about it that I really like about Dylan. Uh, one is uh, the simplicity because obviously I don't think people always think of Dylan as writing simple lyrics, but sometimes I think he really writes simple lyrics and they're very beautiful. It's funny. I love Dylan's sense of humour. So I think that moment where he says, you know... I don't know if they do that sort of thing anymore. You mm. can say, what, bringing people back from the dead? You, you don't know if that's a, that's a thing people do now. Um, but it's that it's that same sort of false naivety that he has in some of the songs and in some of the interviews, you know, the kind of I'm just a song and dance man, you mm. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I like that aspect. And then, of course, you know, I think with Dylan, his relationship to religion is always really interesting and there's something in... I mean, I I hear that as... Being uh, this sort of regretful echo of a time when he was, he felt very close to his Christianity. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy, does anybody remember who he was? Mm. Uh, uh, it makes me think of, you know, that what's the line from Not Dark Yet, the didn't even hear a murmur of a prayer. Mm-hmm. You, you sense him saying goodbye to something, wishing he could recapture that, yeah. uh, but, but regretting it's gone. I'm going to plunge right into um, one of the reasons
0: we're gathered here today, which is we we asked you if you would like to uh, go through any specific era or album or whatever, and you suggested John Wesley Harding, and we were just
1: wondering why John
0: Wesley Harding to start Mm.
1: with. Um, Well, I guess it's, it's a record that I don't remember hearing for the first time. Because my kind of relationship with Dylan is that my mum was and is a massive Bob Dylan fan. Mm. And I was kind of, I really was raised on Bob Dylan. And uh, so I don't remember hearing John Wesley Harding for the first time. So it's always been there Mm -hmm. in the background. What I do remember is that it was a record that scared me when i was young particularly the ballad of frankie lee and Judas priest i thought okay. that was a uh, that was a scary song mm. and there were little lines in that that, that 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 gave me nightmares which is a kind of interesting <laughs> weird thing for a kind of rock album to do uh and you know i also like country music a great deal and obviously uh, john wesley Harding is not exactly country music but it's heading off in that kind of mm. folk country direction towards nashville skyline and yeah. so on so yeah it's, uh, it's one I really love. Also, I think, again, in terms of its religion... John Wesley Harding is exactly as Christian as I like my Bob. Uh, you know what I mean? It's yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. Yeah, just Christian enough you mean. It's, Yeah, it's suffused <laughs> with you know the language of the King James Bible. Yeah.
2: It's, it's it's full of a sense of of sin and judgment and guilt and redemption. Yeah. Like uh, Red River Shore and Not Dark Yet, a sprinkling, but no nothing to hit your Exactly, bed, but nothing yeah, to yeah, say yeah. you're all going to die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, it's so perfect that that's the way you feel about it because to me, John Wesley Harding sounds like it's always been there. Yeah, It has this timeless sort of language of the hills. Um, I was looking, listening to some of the, the lyrics just a, a couple of hours ago, just thinking, you know, he could have used far more plain speaking language than he did. I mean, lines like, oh, the leaves began to fall in. Um, right. I spied the fairest damsel. He yeah. opened many a door. In fact, he just left my sight. You know, scansion-wise, there's all sorts of examples where you could make them more colloquial, but he Quite clearly, chose to go for this ancient language from the mountains, this biblical speak. You know. Absolutely, and and it's I think it's it's really interesting as well when you
1: when you retrospectively put it together with the basement tapes, mm. and think that even though the basement tapes in some ways gets us towards this record, yeah. actually he just junks so much of that of that songwriting language. So all mm. of the characters, you know, you think of from the the. The basement tapes, like like the Mighty Quinn and yeah. and Tiny Montgomery, Probably, and all these yeah. mm. sort of things. Now it's just the Hobo. The drifter. The immigrant. The, yeah. Yes, the immigrant, yeah. the joker, Within the Wicked messenger. Thief. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, mm. you know, there's a sense in which he is actually just... He's saying, I'm not going to locate this in any particular time. Mm. This is, this is a, a record or this is a set of songs that could have been written any time in the last 150 years. Yeah. That's the sort of feeling of it.
2: I agree. And I think what is even more fascinating, particularly with the relationship to the Basement Tapes, is I'm told, having read a bit about it, a lot of people think that this album was recorded before the Basement Tapes were even finished. Right. Yes. Yeah. So they spent the whole summer writing sea yeah. shanties and 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 chorus ridden uh, drunken anthems. Yeah. He went off, did nine and a half hours of recording in Nashville to this album, yeah. with no choruses, um, very ancient, mysterious language. And then goes back to the basement tapes and resuscitates that style yep. as he's done throughout his career when he would just say, well, this is me now. This is me now. But it, they're, they're hats that he can quite easily put on and take off. Yes. You know? And then you listen to some of these songs done at the, the Isle of Wight a couple of years later. They sound completely different to yep. me. I'm, I, I know that there's, an, ed, like you say, an edging towards Nashville Skyline. But this is not Nashville Skyline. This is something darker. This is something wiser. You know, yeah, I think.
0: Yeah, it's so dark. And it, it surprises me because it's it's the beginning of his Woodstock. Idle is that a word? Yeah. Um, you, you, and and yet it's it's so dark. And as you mm. say, Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. I never I never get tired of listening to that. I, when we were when I was looking at it again, f-, you know, for this podcast, I was astounded that it, it it's something like six minutes long. Because mm. it seems to me to be like a couple of minutes long. Yeah. I never. It's very long. I yeah. never get bored by it. It's it's a long song, but it, to me, it's because the story is fantastic it's it's just the images are amazing and and and, and they're so sudden the changes are so sudden yes like, which is where he died of
1: thirst what what he's, yeah. he's dead now yeah exactly yeah. and in fact in fact the stories of a thing I, one of the things I treasure on this record, that actually mm-hmm. suddenly, he becomes a storytelling mm. songwriter. I mean, obviously he has told stories before, but very often the the stories in his previous songs, he's he's kind of mocking the convention of a story song. So yes. it's sort of like 115th Dream or yeah. Clothesline Saga or or, yeah. or any of those ones where he's he's kind of saying, oh, you think you're going to get a straightforward story? You're, you're not. Mm. And of course, none of the stories here are straightforward. But he is, this is an odd thing to say about a song, but it feels like he's really committed to the reality of the world that the song is talking yeah. about. Mm. So even a song like The Drifter's Escape, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which tells a, a fascinating story. As you say, its it's a story of sudden, inexplicable changes mm. and, you know, somebody being freed, but also of of completely inexplicable situation in the first place, yeah. you know. But yeah. it takes you through that journey in the way that I think kind of characteristic of that mid-60s Dylan period is much more him in the middle of a situation and in with a sort of constellation of images just painting in more of it but in yeah. a way that doesn't move you through it you know mm. Maggie's farm or like a rolling stone mm-hmm. or any of those sorts of songs mm. he really is just saying these these are the images of the world around me whereas these ones really do take you through a strange story
2: I agree 100% and I also think that you know further than that I think this is the reason for me this album is the most timeless thing he's done yeah. because you you have those mid-60s surreal songs, you know, and there's so much dense imagery in them, but you feel very much like he's striving to make them dense, whereas... As you say, these songs are cryptic, they're mysterious, but the method in which he delivers them is so plain speaking. Yes. And so you hear them and you think, well, this is fairly accessible, but I don't really understand what he's talking about here. And and you come back to it again and again and again, and the older you get, this sort of shifts a little bit. And for me, you just cannot put your finger on what it is about this album.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. And that, artistically, has got to mean that you're never, ever going to get bored of it. Yes. Yes. Because it, its charm eludes you in a fantastic way. I mean, David Hepworth said something about great pop records. He said, the, the best thing about popular music is when you hear the promise of further promise or the f- right. promise of further riches. Right. And every time I hear John Wesley Harding, oh, yeah. I know that I'm not quite there yet. There's more <laughs> to learn about it. It's interesting
1: that, isn't it? Because, it, it, I mean, first of all, I think the the images are of a very different type on this record mm. from, from from previous uh, uh, previous records, partly because of this timeless thing, but also if you think it's there's something epic and foreboding mm. in, you know, a bolt of lightning striking a courtroom yeah. or two riders mm. approaching from a distance, you know, or 24 windows with a woman's face in every one... Yeah all these sort of images they 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 kind of send a chill even now through me i, I don't have nightmares anymore about john wesley harding but I, you still kind of think there is something just deeply fearful about yeah. about this whole this whole record yeah. he's always sort of a been a slightly mysterious songwriter he yeah. never tells you everything he's doing But there seems to be something different here about the way that even a song, a really simple or an apparently simple song like the title song, John Wesley Harding, the the more you listen to it, the more puzzling I think Mm. it it becomes. Mm. Because I'm always, in that song, I think, you know, I think probably the first few hundred times I heard it. Yeah, I kind of thought, oh, it's, it's a story about a, a hero outlaw. Mm. And now I listen to it, I think, this is a sociopath,
2: clearly. Yes. Well, he's also got lots of hands. I, I listened is, to the, I, He travels yes. with a gun yeah. in every hand, and he was always known to lend a helping hand. That's well, of course right. he yes. can, because he's got several. But he was never known
0: to hurt an honest man, I hear now, as a threat, where I I thought, you know, oh, he's yeah. a good guy, he's like Jesse James. But no, it's it's quite... It's it, as you say is, is he a sociopath? And...
1: Exactly I think it's, it's a sort of it's, it's a let's just say song so it's mm. like you know is John Wesley Harding a good man well let's just say there was no man around who could track or train him down <laughs> yes. and, and let's yes. leave it there and you're <laughs> like well actually it's, the whole song is constructed around these negatives Yes, you know mm-hmm. that he was never caught and you know mm-hmm. he never hurt an honest man which of course implies he probably hurt a lot of dishonest <laughs> men and the hearsay of well, he
2: was never known to do this yes. Yes. Right. second <laughs>
1: information isn't it yes that's and who's to a... say
0: what an honest man is yeah you exactly. know john wesley harding maybe
1: and that weird thing you know when he's with his lady by his side he took a stand we have no idea what and Ooh. then soon the situation there was all was straightened out you Ooh. think what, what happened situation? this
0: is weird yeah. I, I do find that the songs particularly on this album make me think about storytelling in in a kind of a linear way like you want to make that make sense and like it's impossible no, it it can't be done but still i keep trying which is which is part of the fun actually this morning i listened to uh the whole album but i listened to wicked messenger yeah. and i was feeling kind of uh kind of down which is a good place to be when you're listening to this album i think if you, <laughs> oh help me in my weakness it, 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 Yeah. if you're feeling kind of weak you're a bit more vulnerable you're a bit more and Uh, The wicked messenger, all of a sudden, almost made sense to me. Right. Like I thought, lighten up, and and the soles of my feet, I swear, they're burning. Yeah. I I listened to that line a a few. I thought, my God, he's like to me. It was like he's almost in hell.
2: This this Mm. wicked messenger. Yeah. He's about to burst into flames. Interesting, you say that about the weakness, because there's there's a beggar on the street, there's a friend to the poor, there's an immigrant, even the drifter says, "Help me." These are all characters that need help don't they they Mm. need assistance from something
1: it's for me this album is a bit like bring it all back home there's that sense that you you, this is visibly an album in transition you know Mm. this is marking someone moving from one form of music to another mm-hmm. and it's interesting to me I think this is right that those last two songs were also the last two songs recorded yeah and so yeah. they got a whole extra musician on them as well but there's that sense in which he's I, I sort of love the fact that the, the record is bookended by two of the, the, the two simplest songs on the record mm. but the first one I think is deceptively simple as we were just saying mm. but the second one really is simple you know it, yes and it rises
2: moon with spoon and, and it, it rises
1: moon with spoon <laughs> hurrah what's <Yeah, they laughs> <are. laughs> not to like yeah.
0: big fat moon as well <laughs> <Yeah. so. laughs> <laughs> but was he saying I'm going on to country goodbye or do you think he was saying anything else with those last two?
1: I don't know. I, I mean, I suppose I, uh, it's easy to do this in retrospect. It does feel like he, was, he hit a certain stride because there's a country feel to quite a few of the songs mm-hmm. on there, uh, particularly the title track and so on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and then he tries out, you know, you get in lap steel, you're going to have a very different kind of feel
2: to the song Indeed. and it does push him on. And it's and the structure is interesting, too. I mean, all the songs, apart from Frankie, Lee and Judy's Priest, have give or take three verses.
1: Yeah, and
2: no choruses. And no choruses. Of no course. yeah. Um, and then Down on the Cove is just straight blues, which is fine because there's no chorus there either. And I'll Be a Baby Tonight... Is quite clearly going somewhere because not only does it have the the steel uh, guitar, but also there's a middle eight in it, which yes. is more formalized kind of structurally. Yeah. If you are headed into Na- Nashville Skyline, but as I say, I don't think it sounds anything like Nashville Skyline. I, I read a, a thing the other day ab- about "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight." Somebody
0: did ask Dylan, as they always do, you know, about you know hidden meanings in his songs, and, right. um, and they asked him. They said, "Well, that's just a that's a great love song," and, and he said, "Oh, you never know. It could be from the baby's point of view." <laughs> i heard that <laughs> interesting okay
2: I'm gonna... the baby you know yeah. is there a baby in it i also think it's worth mentioning but i have a real soft spot for the dylan albums where he goes in records them gets the fuck out doesn't second guess it you know yeah. and i think there's a comparison here with with the original blood on the tracks the acetate version with uh with planet waves with with in fact lots of his albums that were recorded in less than a week yeah you know and you and you Put, and bear in mind that this is the same time, give or take, as Sergeant Pepper. Yes. Um and Clinton Halen pointed out in, in the time it took the Beatles to record Sergeant Pepper, Bob Dylan recorded all of his albums up to and including Desire. <laughs> really. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you know, there there is a, a spareness in the music, but there's also there's a spareness in the in the work ethic yeah. going. Cut these songs, mm. leave.
1: And don't you think that, that in some ways, I mean, obviously he continues to be a, a, a kind of vital and extraordinary artist for, for decades after that and continues to be now. Mm. But, but this feels like this is the last moment where he is overwhelmingly influential because yeah. it seems to me what this record does, as you say... This comes it's just before New Year's Day isn't it this yeah. is released right yeah. at the end of December mm. 1967 the year of Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band of surrealistic pillow yes. of their satanic mm. majesties and he mm. produces a monochrome record with three musicians on yes. basically called John Wesley Harding mm. and of course that has a huge impact, you know, yeah. absolutely massive impact, along with the bands' influence and so on. But you just think of what the Beatles then go on to do—absolutely turn their back on Sergeant Pepper—to take one of trying to do a John Wesley Harding kind of thing is the White Album, mm-hmm. and then the terrible Let It Be sessions, or oh, the quite good Let It Be sessions. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's again, it's that sense of going: Can we just get in, try and do something, make it quite raw keep the mistakes in if
2: necessary and and get out and interestingly enough george harrison i believe went to hang out with bob dylan and the band in woodstock in between the white album and let it be there's, yes. only, there's only six mm. weeks between the release of the White Album and the beginning of Let It Be. But when they come back, you know, he's trying to persuade the Beatles to do Please Mrs. Henry and things like this. Yes, And then, of course, the influence of what was at the time called Country Rock, which is a label I'm not too fond of. But that, that absolutely takes over. And even in the photograph on John Wesley Harding, this is over six months ahead of music from Big Pink and it completely foresees that Elliot Landy... Ethic of you know standing in in the backyard with a with a hat on and yeah. some trees in the background and all that and as you say millions of miles away from yeah. being for the benefit of Mr Kite or yes. um, yeah yeah and know. they're out there freezing their asses off with a Polaroid
0: camera yeah you yes. know not. Anything a Polaroid camera is like barely a camera. Yeah. And as I I read about the uh, it wasn't like a session. It was sort of run outside, stand in front of the camera, mm-hmm. take one picture, and then uh, stick it under your armpit. That's right. Until it develops because it's otherwise too it, to it, develop. it's too cold to develop. That's right. And then say oh let's go again. But I I think. You know, they did like a dozen pictures. That's right, Polaroids. And then, one. and as I was telling you guys earlier, I read that the the guy who took the pictures, who I think was a local photographer, sold that Polaroid on the cover for fifty bucks at a local swap <laughs> meet, <laughs> and has That's been
2: amazing. kicking himself ever since. It's about the price of a, an original mono edition of the album, probably. Yeah. And, and
0: also, who were those guys? Yes, those Indian. We now know that they were Indian musicians mm. who were staying with Albert Grossman mm. from India, but I mean, at, when I first saw it, I'm I, I, well, it's still so mysterious. Mm. That cover—the guy in his seemingly fluorescent bathrobe, one guy,
2: and yeah. Yeah. Um, the other guy who's got who seems very groovy and and cool. And the, the fourth guy, who I think Sally Grossman identified as someone who would just come round to yeah. fix something at the he house. He was a that local day. stonemason. Oh, I really? Stonemason. Yeah, 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 I believe yeah. so. <laughs> so and, I, was, yeah, I didn't quite round come round to then fix the, the, cable the supposed TV,
0: picture of the Beatles upside. If you turn the album
2: upside down, uh, then, what's yeah. your take on that? We one, had to people? mention this. <laughs> I. People always mention about, the. Oh, is that the one where you can see the Beatles on the cover? I just think, first of all, pfft, maybe. I, I just don't care. <laughs> and I just, I find it unbelievable that there's so much to say about the music on this album. Oh. And people, if they have five minutes or five seconds to talk about John Wesley Harding, they'll say, is that the one with the on the cover so I'm going to start referring to Sgt Pepper as the one with Bob Dylan on the cover (laughs) see where that gets me one thing that did strike me is I wonder if he wrote one or two very long songs and then fashioned them into, into six or seven because scansion wise and melody wise they're sort of interchangeable You can find little phrases like, all along this countryside, all across the Telegraph, all along the Watchtower. Uh, I dreamed I saw St. Augustine, I pity the poor immigrant, you know. And then you you find these little rhymes and these internal structures, which I think for an album work brilliantly because they create this sense of cohesion. But I wonder if it's just the fact that he had all this stuff and was writing very, very quickly and decided to make it into several songs rather than... Just a couple. No idea. Did literally occurred to me today.
1: That's how, uh, that's. It's very plausible because I, I think you're you're right. Actually, I mean, it's an album I know really well but actually there are songs that blur into each other yeah. a bit you know the sort of dear landlord and lonesome hobo you know, they just seem to be part of the same world yeah. as if they just they could just flow into each other uh but it's also it, it's partly again that thematic kind of unity of the of the record which in a sense is also a big Shift, doesn't it? Because something mm. about blonde on blonde is—is is that attempt to sort of dazzle with the range of what you can do? Mm. And this one is—is is not about dazzling with a range at all. It's saying mm. I'm going to plough a very narrow furrow here, mm. um, but I'm going to populate it with figures who could sit in each other's songs. You know, you could certainly yeah. imagine the Wicked Messenger turning up to to the drifter and and, and so on yeah. so uh, yeah I think there is something there's there's something in that about that that consistency
2: I also I mean you mentioned blonde on blonde I mean it's important to mention that the musicians on this album played on blonde on blonde yeah. and they're recording in the same oh, yeah. studio you know Kenny Buttery on drums. So- Charlie, Charlie McCoy, McCoy, who played guitar and various things on Blonde on Blonde, played, also played guitar on Desolation Row. That was the beginning of his, his time with Dylan. Not
1: the the Spanish guitar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. seriously? That's Charlie
2: McCoy. And then so after that, he was drafted in as a regular on Blonde on Blonde, okay. and now he's playing the most muscular, funky bass mm. yeah. on John Wesley Hardy. The other thing that I think is so interesting about this is that I, I think
1: it, it feels very spare in general terms but actually uh, lots of the uh, of the of the arrangements are very subtle and you know wicked messenger is that wonderful kind of descending yeah you know it's a wonderful piece uh, just a piece of very simple thinking through of how how a song like that can work mm. which actually means there is quite a lot of variation in the record but you need to kind of Absorb yourself into that, into that kind of mindset, really, and, and no. enter his world. Speaking of Wicked Messenger, this is my final revelation this morning.
0: This is after <laughs> listening to it for, you know, how many decades. That because it's the last song before the two love songs, and the last line is, if you, if you cannot bring good news, then don't bring any. Yeah. I thought, oh, is that that seems to be saying, by the way it's placed, and now... I'm going to sing love songs for a while. Mm, yes. Um, and, and because I, I kind of this morning saw the Wicked Messenger as both myself and, and as Dylan. Right. You know, Dylan's he's been talking about these almost apocalyptic visions or visions of Johanna. It, he's, been uh. doing, he's been bouncing all over the, the shop. And now he's going to get
1: back, the, fe- the soles of his feet are burning and he's going to get back to love i suppose the thing that that i'm also struck by about this record though which kind of relates to that is the way that one of the things he's he seems to be drawing on is that kind of folk country tradition of uh, of the moral lesson mm-hmm. um though mm-hmm. you know the lesson at the end of the ballad of frankie lee and Judas priest i don't really figure i can't really figure out what that is or whether we're supposed to take that Seriously. And I feel that a little bit the same. I mean, Dear Landlord sort of ends with a kind a bit of a, a sort of a, mm. a phrase-making little little thought. And and so does Wicked Messenger. I, I sort of feel he's toying a bit at this point with that with that that sort of Hank Williams Luke the Drifter yes, like kind a, of moral mm. country song yeah. tradition, but can't quite bring himself to do it fully, yeah, he has to still have a bit of a laugh about it.
2: Yeah, and and, and <laughs> the, the phrase nothing is revealed is in there as yes. well, isn't it, which which just says don't, look, don't try and make yes. any sense out of this. In fact, just while we're on that, I mean, that's the only thing I can find it lyrically to link to the basement tapes. You've got nothing was delivered, yes. and here you've got nothing is revealed, mm. and I know that at the time he was reading King Lear a lot. He had King Lear and the Bible as his two sort of main wow. influences, and of course the word nothing pops up in King Lear a lot. Of course. Well, I think, but I, it, actually, what that also tells me is going back to the story, the
1: the stories in this record, because mm. I I think the the stories are fascinating, but also in the variety of storytelling styles. Mm. The thing I, one of the things that I think is so wonderful about um, all along the Watchtower, is that it, kind of in story terms, in very traditional story terms, it's all act one. Yes, it's basically describing a situation. There are. You know, there's unhappiness. Yeah. And then, oh, God, something really serious happens. Two riders approach from a distance. You know that's not going to end well. Yeah. That's the point in a movie where you go, now the story starts. Right. You know what I mean? But that's kind of where he ends it, except now when he does it live, where he sings the first verse again.
0: But you know what I read? Does it? it I, that yeah. the, the last verse was originally the first verse. Yes, that's what that I That he heard. changed that in the studio, that he... He moved it in the studio. which And it kind of makes the song, I think, doesn't it? I mean, I think
2: that was a wise move. Well, I it's also it's impossible much. to discuss it now with, without in a, in a world that's not heard Jimi Hendrix's version where, yes. you know, the wind begin to howl goes into this apocalyptic guitar solo, which is also yeah, something really. he's adopted live, isn't it? Yes. Since then. Um, well, I don't know
1: whether he... Uh, because when I was... Obviously, I've listened to the songs slightly differently, preparing for this, which is, of course, a fatal thing to do because I'm now overthinking all the songs. But I suddenly thought, I've always assumed when I listened to that song that the Joker and the Thief are in this fortress Mm. talking about how it's all going to shit. Yes. (laughs) And then the riders approach from outside. But then if if you sing the... That first verse again, it sounds like the two riders are the Joker and the Thief. Mm. Yes, it does. Which I I, I said, oh no, that's completely not what I thought the song was about at all. I
0: I had a lot of trouble with the song when it first came out because when I was a kid anyway, they may still be doing it, the the Jehovah's Witnesses would come to the door once a week (laughs) with their magazine called The Watchtower. Oh, right. (laughs) And so it was really hard to not think about the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Right, right. Um, but but who's to say? I mean, the Jehovah's
2: Witnesses were around
0: yeah, when
2: yeah. Dylan was growing up. They probably came to the door. Um, there's something else about this record which I think is worth discussing a bit, is these songs invite interpretation and covers like nothing else in Dylan's career. And I think part of it's to do is because the treatments are so spare. They almost say add something here if you like Um, you know you got obviously we just mentioned Jimi Hendrix all on the Watchtower Joe Cocker did Dear Landlord The Hollies did a whole album of Dylan covers but I'm very fond of their version of I'll Be Your Baby Tonight uh, the faces of the wicked messenger it's like it was open season for this album and and more recently thea gilmore
0: and, and thea gilmore yeah yes. did the whole thing which a is absolutely
2: look. wonderful you yeah it, really you, rethinking you, you should not be able to cover all of john wesley harding and get away with it but by god she does a fantastic job yeah if anyone's yeah. not heard that album it's worth a listen do you, I'm um, just slipping slightly from John Wesley, do you still go to see
0: Dylan live? And, and what's your experience with Dylan live? So,
1: okay, I, I feel sort of embarrassed saying this, really. I've seen him once. I saw him in 2005. Wimbledon? Uh, At Brixton Academy. Oh, McKenna, right? uh, uh, Which was kind of great. But, but great in that sense. Uh, I'm in the same room as Bob Dylan, yes, which was kind of wonderful. Um, the idea that clearly... Absolutely animates the Neverending Tour. That the songs on the on the albums are a mere snapshot of their much longer evolution. Mm. I think is a, 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 an idea I love in theory. Mm. And then I, but when I when I saw him live, it was a little bit. I thought it's this is like he's playing around of one song to the tune of another. Yeah. And I, I there was I remember there was a moment, and it's also you know it's helped that the band is the band's very loud. His voice is you know he's. Doing that funny, feathery feather. <laughs> and uh and so I'm I'm finding it quite hard to to and there was a song that starts and I kinda go, I can't really catch this. Uh but it's it's obviously one of the one of the albums I don't really listen to or it's it's not been released yet mm, or something. And then I catch tempest. a stray lyric. Yeah, and, and it's like a rolling stone. Yeah, yeah. you <laughs> go, no, it's it's all right, Ma, I'm only bleeding. You go this and it's taken me two minutes for this oh, yeah. i did a um about ten years ago i wrote i wrote a play uh I wrote a play which uh, is all about music and it has this device in it that there are uh, uh gig reviews all yeah. the way through but they're gig reviews that are impossible because they either didn't happen or they wouldn't happen or they couldn't happen and so it's you know it's sort of the 30th anniversary nirvana concert all yeah, those sorts of things yeah. um and this is the I'm, and there are sort of parodies of rock journalism but I just Give you this, this is one of them. Last night at the Alhambra, Bob Dylan delighted a packed and enthusiastic crowd by playing a selection of his greatest songs exactly like they sound on the record. <laughs> Longtime Zimmermaniacs were delighted by his 90 minute request fueled encore, especially when the sprightly folk rock legend surfed during Like a Rolling Stone. And <laughs> fantastic. It's a little bit, it is a little bit my. View of what I'd quite like him to do, in concert. Yeah. I would quite like to hear. I'd like to hear all along the watchtower as he a bit way. more like yeah. he does it on on the record, and not so much the the, the, the kind of Jimi Hendrix version. For but
2: example, yeah, maybe he should do a stint on Broadway like Bruce Springsteen. And just uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, because
1: he's so. Just accessible. hear the piano
2: or something, you know. <laughs> I mean, what was
1: interesting is that I remember from that that the, that gig, he played songs that are less prominent, mm. and actually like Signor. Tales of Yankee Power, for yeah, example, he yeah. played, which is a song that I actually I know Street Legal quite well from when my mum, oh yeah, you know because it came out when I was sort of 10-ish or something yeah. like that. Uh, but I don't think I'd listened to it much for for the previous sort of twenty years, and actually the song really came out kind of bright and clear and true, Ooh. but. The songs I was much more familiar with, I just felt a little bit like he was was sort of racing through them and I wasn't completely convinced that he was doing a new version. It was just a bit like... It sometimes feels a bit like the band have 12 backing tracks and he will randomly assign, (laughs) you know, I'm going to be... like Matthew. Yes. I'm going to be doing...
0: You know, I'm, I'm just hard. interested in how you um, were able to rebel against your parents. Then, if you did you, if you took to Dylan, and that was the soundtrack of your youth, yeah.
1: or maybe you didn't rebel. I don't know. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's hard. My mom still listens to music and, and listens to contemporary music, which she listens to a lot of Bob Dylan, but uh, but Bob Dylan was the kind of foundation. And then, I guess, in the '80s. Which also, I still don't feel is Bob Dylan's greatest period. There was a I point don't think you're I, alone. <laughs> I, I, you know, I probably didn't follow very much of Bob Dylan's stuff when I was a teenager. Yeah. And then it was probably Oh Mercy that I kind of... I was just when I thought I was out, yes. yeah, pull me back yeah, in. Absolutely, absolutely. You know.
2: Oh Mercy's fabulous, I love it. Um, but and, yeah.
1: the, and actually the bootleg series yeah. as well, are the ones that have sort of completely dragged me back in to even things like the christian records that i yeah. thought i hated and then i listened to the that box set and go huh these are some of these are great the first, the first slow ca- train coming was my mom used to take me to hmv or uh, bond street yeah. to get every time a dylan album came out and come back and you would hear nothing else for sort of two months mm. this is how i remember it anyway mm. um and I remember us going to get Slow Train Coming, but I don't remember it being played very much. Because I think <laughs> even even my mom kind of thought, Ah, oh, I think we can, let's go back to Blood on the Tracks. Yes. You know? yes. Yes. I remember getting Slow Train
0: Coming and yeah, listening to it once, putting it away. In fact, giving it away. Right. And then a friend of mine, 20 years later, said, I've been listening to Slow Train Coming. And I said, really? Right. And he said, yeah, you should not do it, it's really good. And I bought it on yeah. CD this time, and uh, and he was right. And um, it, musically, it's just terrific. And I actually I, I think uh, uh, Serve Somebody is, yeah. is a really great song. I never get enough
1: I of it. I think that. a lot of them are. I think When He Returns is fantastic. One of the things I find wonderful about Bob Dylan, but also it's what tells me that he is a great artist, that mm. actually I kind of know that there are these albums there that I don't actually listen to very much because I didn't really get at the time. There is going to be a point in my life... When I'm going to listen to Empire Burlesque, yeah. and suddenly it's all going to
2: click into focus, you know, mm-hmm. and and it will mean something to me. Yeah. Well, they've all got something to offer. I mean, even yeah. if you wanted to sit down and listen to Empire Burlesque and just make a note of the films that he's quoting, yeah, you know, the, 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 the Bogart films, the episodes of Star Trek, whatever. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting, you know. <laughs> yeah, we. I'm stuff, I'm uh, but... I'm in charge of wrapping it. So, is there
0: anything you'd like to say about Bob or this particular album or anything more you feel you'd like to share with us?
1: No. I think all I'd say is is, is is thank you. I think I will no longer have nightmares. I think listening to John oh. Wesley Harding.
0: Is it Rolling Bob Talking Dylan? Is recorded in the skinny moo suite at Lip
2: Sync Studios. Engineered by Mark Langley Smith and produced by Robin Guys. We're on Twitter at Is It Rolling Pod. Music is by Sam Hare. Well, the
0: moral of the story, the moral of the song, is simply that one should never be where one does not belong. So when you see your neighbor carrying something, help him with his load, and don't go mistaking paradise for that home across the road.